And if you would, turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Again, we're going to be looking at verses 2 through 15 this morning. Uh, if you are growing weary of this break from Luke's gospel, we, we're finishing it up next week. Uh, we're going to get to the last of those eight qualities next week. As we look at Peter's, actually the Holy Spirit's, discipleship strategy, pathway to maturity for believers. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 15, Peter gives us a Holy Spirit-inspired pathway to maturity. And he was so committed to this strategy that he committed the rest of his life to reminding the church about this strategy. And if he felt, again, if he felt if you've been with us all along, you've heard me say this every Sunday, but I, I'll say it again and again. If he felt that understanding this pathway to maturity, this strategy, this systematic step-by-step discipleship strategy was that important that he gave the rest of his life to it, shouldn't we carefully consider it together as individuals and as a church? Let's look at this text together beginning in 2 Peter chapter 1. Verse number 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So what Peter is saying here is that God has provided you with everything you need for life and godliness along with precious and magnificent promises so that we can all be partakers of the divine nature. Verse number 5, now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. In other words, because of these great graces, that God has given us because He's given us everything necessary for life and for godliness. Because of these great graces, you as an individual must apply all diligence in your faith walk to add to your faith moral excellence, to your moral excellence, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, and on and on. And remember the dual nature there. Your faith is supplying you with moral excellence and you are adding to your faith moral excellence. Your faith is supplying you knowledge and you're adding to your moral excellence knowledge. And your faith is supplying you with godliness. Those things that God gave you in the beginning. Out of that faith that God gave you in the beginning comes these qualities naturally. But also we are responsible for being diligent to add to these qualities. As we see in verse number 8. If these qualities are yours and are increasing. They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. 
Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. If these qualities that we've been looking at over these several weeks become yours and are increasing, you will not be useless, unfruitful, blind, or at risk of falling away, but you will have the kingdom abundantly supplied to you. Peter's goal was to pound these truths into the church with the remainder of his days, that God has supplied us with everything we need for life and godliness. He's given us faith, and out of that faith, he provides us with these qualities. We add to these qualities. We're diligent to increase in these qualities, and as we do, we will not be spiritually useless or unfruitful. We'll be guaranteed entrance into the eternal kingdom. And Peter's goal was to pound that into the church as we see in verses 12 through 15. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is intimate, knowing that my death is near. As our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. Now, we've looked at the quality of faith. We've looked at the quality of knowledge, of moral excellence, of self-control, of perseverance. And last week, godliness. If you missed any of those, you can go back to, on the church app. You can go back to the website. You can go back... And listen to any of those if you want. This morning, we come to the seventh quality that Peter lists. The quality of brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness. Look in verse number 7 of 2 Peter chapter 1. In your godliness, brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness. Some of your translations may say brotherly affection. That word comes from a Greek word that you might recognize. It's the Greek word Philadelphia, which you might remember is the city of what? Brotherly love, right? Maybe not literally, but that's what it was named for, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And that word in the Greek, that Philadelphia love, is a word that is used to describe a tender, kind, caring, concerned affection. This is not a love brought on by beauty or an attractive personality or charisma. It's basically the type of love that occurs within a family. You love your children because they're your children. You love your parents because they're your parents. Not because they're always lovable, right? You love your siblings because they're your siblings. Not because they're always lovable. It's a type of love that occurs within a family. And as believers, we are a family. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 to 2, Peter says, Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. What he says is, Love your fellow believers tenderly, as if they were family, because they are. 
Love your brothers and sisters in Christ like they are family because they are. And actually, we're closer than a family. We're not connected by the blood of parents. We're not connected by the blood of grandparents. We're not just connected by the blood of great-grandparents. We are connected by the precious blood of Jesus. Now, which blood is more precious? Which blood is more magnificent? Is it the blood of parents and grandparents and great-grandparents and siblings? Or is it the blood of Jesus Christ? It's the blood of Jesus Christ that connects the family of God. So we're actually closer as brothers and sisters in Christ than we are brothers and sisters in a biological family. Peter treated this Philadelphia love or brotherly kindness as absolutely necessary as we can tell from his very first letter that's in our Bible, 1 Peter. He, he's writing to the church in very difficult times, times of, of persecution, times of suffering, times of trial. And he makes this brotherly kindness, this brotherly affection, this Philadelphia a theme of his first letter in 1 Peter 1.22. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. Fervently love one another from the heart. 1 Peter 2.17 Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. 1 Peter 3.8 To sum up all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted. 1 Peter 4.8 Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. If we are truly born again, this should come naturally. If we're truly born again, this love for the brethren should come naturally. Remember, these qualities naturally flow out of our God-given faith. And if we've been born again, if we've been adopted into the family of God, we should automatically have a measure of love for our brothers and our sisters in Christ just as we have a measure of love for our brothers and sisters in biological families. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 and 10, As to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. If we're born again, we have been taught automatically by God to do this, and it is clear that love for brothers and sisters in Christ is evidence that we are saved. If, if we are void of love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, it gives evidence that we do not know Christ. But if we have been born again, if we have been brought to faith, it is natural, naturally supernatural, for those who know Christ to love their brothers and sisters in Christ regardless of their socioeconomic status, regardless of their race, regardless of their culture. 1 John 2, 9, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. 1 John 3, 14, We know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. 1 John 4, 7 and 8, Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God and Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is 
Love, 1 John 4, 12, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. 1 John 5, 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. It is clear that love for the brethren, brotherly kindness, brotherly affection is a character trait of those who have been born again. It is given to us through our God-given faith. It is supplied to us in our God-given faith. And out of that faith, we supply our moral excellence, our knowledge, our self-control, our perseverance, our godliness with brotherly kindness. At the same time, Peter says, be diligent to pursue these qualities and to increase in these qualities. How do we do that? How do we pursue this quality? How do we increase in this quality of brotherly kindness? Four ways, at least four ways. Number one, minister to the brethren. Minister to the brethren. And you see, in the, in the Word of God, we have not so much a definition of brotherly kindness we have more of a demonstration of brotherly kindness. It's not so much something we know, it's something we do. And we can exercise brotherly kindness by using our spiritual gifts to serve and to bless our fellow believers. Now hear me, using our spiritual gifts to serve and to bless, to minister to our fellow believers. That means we need to get beyond... Get beyond the spiritual gifts survey, get beyond the spiritual gifts inventory, and get to the spiritual gifts application. You see, we all, probably most of us, if you've been in church for any time, hey, get all giddy inside when you get administered the spiritual gifts inventory. Because we all wonder what we're good for, right? What good am I? Well, this spiritual gifts inventory is going to be the answer to all of my questions. It's going to tell me what I'm good at. It's going to tell me what God has gifted me with. I'm going to answer these questions on a scale of 1 to 10. I'm going to spend 45 minutes tallying up the score, and it's going to tell me something I don't already know about myself. It's going to tell me what my spiritual gift is. The spiritual gift inventories usually list the gifts that are shown to us in Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 10, we see this love of the brotherhood, love of the brethren, come out in the exercising and the ministering of spiritual gifts. In Romans 12, verse 3, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service, in his serving. Or he who teaches, in his teaching. Or he who exhorts, in his exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Right there, Paul says, here's some spiritual gifts. 
exercise them, show brotherly love. So one of the ways that we can show brotherly kindness is to minister to the brethren. So we take our spiritual gifts inventory, and the spiritual gifts come from Romans 12, and they also come from 1 Corinthians 12. We take all these tests. It tells us which one of these gifts we qualify for, and we leave it there on the table. Or we try to create some awkward role for you to play to fulfill your spiritual gift. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. Paul sent a letter to the church at Rome with a list of spiritual gifts. Paul sent a letter to the church at Corinth with a list of spiritual gifts. And those two lists of spiritual gifts are not the same. So that means one of two things. It either meant that Paul knew all the spiritual gifts at Corinth and said, okay, this will apply to them. And he knew all the spiritual gifts at Rome and he said, okay, this will apply to them. And he sent them specific lists based on their church makeup and mentality. Or, option number two, which is far, far more likely, Paul was not giving an exhaustive list of spiritual gift options. Maybe he's just throwing some out there. This is what spiritual gifting looks like. Exercise your gift. Can I just make it easy on you and you can skip the test? I mean, unless you want to take it. Let me just make it easy on you. What has God gifted you to be good at? What has God created you to enjoy? Answer those two questions. What has God gifted you to be good at? And what has God created you to enjoy? And it doesn't take us long to take that test, does it? And now answer the third question. How can you use that which God has created you to enjoy and gifted you to be good at, how can you use that to bless and minister to the brothers and sisters in Christ? It may be turning a wrench. You may be covered in grease up to your elbows and think to yourself every day, what good am I to the kingdom? If you would utilize that ability to twist that wrench and get grease up to your elbows for the brothers and sisters in Christ to bless them, to encourage them, you'd be of great use to the kingdom. Maybe you have the gift of gab and you're an extrovert and you're a social butterfly. You can use that for the kingdom. Maybe you're an introvert and a deep thinker. You can use that for the kingdom. Maybe you can sew. Maybe you can cook. Maybe you can fill in the blank with whatever it is that you're good at and that you enjoy and figure out how to use that to bless and to minister to the brothers and sisters in Christ. There's nothing you have that you're good at that God hasn't given you. Minister to the brethren. Notice it's ministry to the brethren. This is not primarily towards the lost world. We're not talking about lost people primarily today. We're talking about fellow believers. Matthew 25 and verse 40, The king will answer to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. So our ministry is focused on fellow believers. Listen, if you build a wheelchair ramp for a lost person, that's not ministry, that's missions. 
If you build a wheelchair ramp for a lost person, that's not ministry, that's missions. If you build a wheelchair ramp for a brother or sister in Christ, that's not missions, that's ministry. If you go make a visit to a lost person, that's not ministry, that's missions. If you go visit a brother or sister in Christ, that's not missions, that's ministry. Missions and ministry is not about what you do, it's about who you do it to. So you turn that wrench and you get up to your elbows in grease and you do it for a lost person to show the love of Christ, that's missions. You twist that wrench and get up to your elbows in grease for a brother or sister in Christ to bless them, that's ministry. Ministry is to the brethren. And listen, when we take care of our own and when the lost world out there sees that the church of Jesus Christ cares for each other, puts one another first, puts the needs of one another first, put the, puts the concerns of one another first, that is not a deterrent to the lost world. That's an attraction to the lost world. That's a testimony that when Jesus Christ transforms a life and brings people into the family of God, they are a family and they take care of one another. In Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45, all those who had believed were together. And they had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. There's that early church taking care of one another. And listen, this is not just, it's not just brothers and sisters who are part of our tight fellowship here. These are brothers and sisters globally. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 and 10, As to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. This church at Thessalonica not only loved their small-knit fellowship there in Thessalonica, but they were showing the love of Christ to churches throughout the whole region of Macedonia. And again, what a testimony to those throughout Macedonia that this church in Thessalonica would go and that they would share and that they would expend themselves for the good of their brothers and sisters in Christ who they may have never laid their eyes on. John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Minister to the brethren. Exercise your spiritual giftings, what God has created you to love and gifted you to do exercise it to minister and bless your brothers and sisters in Christ here and around the globe. Number two, honor the brethren. Romans 12, Paul gives that list of spiritual gifts. He caps it off in verse number 10 by saying, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. You know what Paul's telling them to do? Through brotherly kindness and with brotherly kindness, honor one another. Show preference to one another. Some translations say, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor 
horizontally to one another. Now, this is just, this is just awkward in some ways because we are to honor who? We're to honor God, are we not? We're to glorify God. We should do everything for His glory. When we sing, it's for Him. When we preach, it's maybe to you, but it's for Him. When we go on mission, it's for Him. When we minister to the brethren, it's for Him. It's all about Him. And, and the church in the West has spent too many decades making everything about us. What, what kind of songs would you like? What kind of, what kind of instruments would you like? What time is good for you? What temperature is good for you? What clothing style is good for you? For you. I mean, what kind of sermons are good for you? Do you like topical sermons? I mean, they don't even have to be biblical sermons. What is it that you want? And we've made everything in the church about us. And I personally, and many preachers, do they thank God, are recalling from that and saying, listen, the spotlight is not on you, the spotlight's not on me. The spotlight is on Christ and on God, and we do everything for His glory. And the glory of God, listen carefully, listen carefully, the glory of God should always overshadow honor for any person. The glory of God should always overshadow any honor or glory given to any person. But it should not cause us to ignore those other persons. Do you get that? In light of the great truth that it is all about God, our responsibility to honor others is often overshadowed, and it should be overshadowed, but it should not be ignored. We must prefer others, as some translations say, outdo one another in showing honor. Now, how do we do that? How do we honor others and outdo each other in showing honor? I mean, think about this. If we outdo one another in in showing honor, that means that we're not to sit back and wait until someone else honors the one. We're supposed to take the initiative. We're not to sit back till someone else shows preference to the other one. We're supposed to take the initiative. We're not supposed to sit back and wait until someone else meets another's need or till someone else gives in to another's request. We're not to wait till someone else shows honor to whom honor is due. We're not to wait till someone else shows love to whom love is due. We're not to wait until someone else takes care of something that needs to be done. But we are to lead out in this regardless of personal giftings. We are to initiate in showing honor. In other words... We're to be the first one in line to honor our brothers and sisters in the Lord, and we ought to outdo each other in doing that. Now, what does that look like? It looks like a whole lot of us to me. So how can we show honor, as the Bible commands us to do, without it becoming all about us and taking the spotlight off of God? Look around right now. Look look up at the clouds. Look up at the sun, at the wind and the trees, at the beautiful day. And if I were to say, wow, look at how beautiful the sky is. Look how beautiful the trees are. Look at how beautiful the temperature is. Look at how beautiful this day is. 
Aren't we grateful and thankful that today is like today is instead of 30 degrees and sleeting? Everybody would say amen. Now, am I worshiping or praising or honoring the creation in that? Am I worshiping or honoring the creation at all in everything that I just said? Or am I giving glory to God for the beauty of creation? I can give glory to God for the beauty of creation. And we can give glory to God as we honor others. As we say, wow, I'm so thankful that God has blessed you in this way. That God uses you in this way. That God has gifted you in this way to minister to others. To bless others. To be encouragement to others. The glory is to God's. The honor is yours. And everything is very thoroughly biblical and pleasing to Christ. This is the essence of that term. We're not sitting back and waiting, but we're leading the way in glorifying God by honoring the goodness of God as it comes out in His people. Philippians 2, 3, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. We are to outdo everyone else in showing honor. Imagine what the church would look like if everyone made it their goal to glorify God by outdoing each other and honoring what God has gifted through these people. Minister to the brethren, show honor to the brethren. Thirdly, show hospitality to the brethren. I'm trying to give you practical ways to increase in your brotherly kindness. Show hospitality to the brethren. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Let love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. So let love of the brethren continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Please please think with me about this for a moment. We have spent, as churches, millions and millions Billions and billions to build big fancy buildings to fuel ministry. And not only have we spent millions and millions and billions and billions to build big fancy buildings to fuel ministry, but we spend millions and millions, if not billions and billions, every year in the West maintaining those big beautiful buildings that were built and that are maintained to fuel ministry. When in fact, They may have done just the opposite. We inevitably begin to think that only what is done in the church building counts. And if you don't believe that, you should have been on the other end of some of the emails and phone calls we've gotten over the last seven months. Some reason, if my Sunday school class meets in my house, it's not Sunday school anymore. It don't really count. Should we count these people? Because they don't really count unless we're in our classroom with our plaque on the outside of the door at this time on Sunday morning in the building. We schedule our Bible studies in the building. We schedule our fellowships in the church building. We schedule our ministry projects in the church building. We schedule our meetings in the church building. And everything revolves around the building so much so that when we say we're going to the church, we're not talking about a body, but we're talking about a building. And as long as everything is housed at the building, 
Our homes are seldom, if ever, open, and therefore, neither are our lives. So I can roll into my subdivision, I can roll up my garage door, I can drive in, roll down the garage door, shut myself in, turn on Dish Network, enter my own domain, I'll come out on Sunday maybe, go to the building, have my interaction there, and then retreat back to my safe haven of home where I never open the doors to allow anyone in and therefore never seem to open up my life either. Yet the Bible, the Bible says, let love of the brethren continue... Do not neglect to show hospitality. It does not say, it does not say, do not neglect to show hospitality unless you have a real handy building. It says do not neglect to show hospitality, period. In other words, something is missing in the Christian life. Something is missing in the Christian church. Something is missing in the process of discipling without hospitality, without open doors, without open lives. And this is one plus that we've experienced in 2020. Our people, at least a good portion of our people, started learning that the building is not essential for the Christian life to flourish. The building is not essential for Christian life and maturity. And hear me loudly, hear me loudly and clearly. I thought about this, typed it, underlined it. So I mean it. If our Christianity, if your Christianity cannot flourish without a building, you might need to ask if it's even Christianity at all. And I would not be surprised if in the coming years, with the trajectory our country's on, if we had to leave a building or compromise our faith altogether. And if your Christianity cannot flourish without a building, you need to back up and reevaluate your Christianity to see if it's Christianity at all. By making it a priority to open our homes and to show hospitality to the brethren, to our brothers and sisters in Christ, it can become easier to show hospitality to strangers who are our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's kind of a concentric circle of love and kindness and hospitality. The brethren are here, and then the global brethren are here just outside of that circle. And then lost people even outside of that circle. And we could benefit from broadening our circles. We could benefit from opening our homes and opening our lives to some new folks that we don't know, some strangers, maybe some different folks who don't look like us, smell like us, talk like us, and act like us, not to virtue signal, but to show the love of Christ. Not to get that selfie to post on Instagram so everybody knows, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the person of the century. I've included those who are not like me. No, but to show the love of Christ. It can even, hospitality can even become a part of gospel seed sowing among the lost, especially among some of the least reached peoples on planet earth. I remember the first time we engaged an unreached people group in southwest India. Totally Muslim people group. I had three ladies, three guys. We're on this trip and every single woman that our ladies encountered met them and immediately said, Come back to my house with me. And me being ignorant, 
quickly said, don't you dare get in a rickshaw with that lady and go back to her house. We may never see you again. Until we realize that Middle Eastern Muslim culture is more Christian in some ways than our own culture. Because one of the first things they're going to do is say, come to my house. I'm about to roll out the red carpet for you. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to give you some tea. We're going to sit around and talk. I'm going to show you hospitality. Listen, that's not a Middle Eastern thing. That's not a Muslim thing. That's a Christian thing. And we don't do it. For our brothers and sisters, much less strangers. At Mississippi College in Clinton, I remember a story of a Saudi student who showed up at that college. And he spent his time there going after his degree. And he finished his schooling after a few years. A few years. And he went to move out of his dorm room as another Saudi student was moving in. And just before he left that dorm room and turned it over to that new Saudi student, he crawled under his bed and pulled out a box. And he gave that box to the new student who was just coming to the hospitality state. And he said, here is a gift that I brought from Saudi that I planned to give to the first family that invited me into their home. And I never had a chance to use it. Maybe someone will invite you. That's not an indictment on America. That's an indictment on the Bible Belt of America. To be Christian, we must learn to show hospitality. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Lastly, how can we increase in our brotherly kindness? We minister to the brethren. We show honor to the brethren. We show hospitality to the brethren. And finally, be an encouragement to the brethren. Brotherly kindness, Philadelphia love, was very present very necessary and very impactful in the early church. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles, and all those who had believed were together. And they had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Do you see that this early church spent its days and its weeks encouraging one another, fellowshipping with one another, being there for one another? We need others. And others need us. I'm the introvert of all introverts. And I need others. It doesn't matter if you're an introvert, introvert or an extrovert. We need others and others need us. 
And it's time for the church to wake up and realize that isolation may be more dangerous than COVID-19. As we watch people who likely have only a year or two left to live, stored away in a nursing home somewhere, quarantined, away from a virus, when maybe the more deadly virus is isolation. We were created for fellowship. We were created to need accountability. We were created to need encouragement. Please, please do not let anyone, any news agency, any politician, or anything, including the, the glory of sports, rob you of that. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 is a command. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love. And the good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. I remember when this talk of COVID-19 first began. And we sat in my office day after day trying to figure out what we were going to do. And I said over and over, I don't want to just go online. I don't want to just go live. I don't want to just do the computer thing. Well, there's nothing else to do. There's nothing else to do because we haven't figured it out yet. And we kept praying and talking and bumping our heads together from everybody from me to the associate pastors to the ministerial assistance to the maintenance staff until God led us to do this. And if it wouldn't have been this, it would have been something else because we cannot forsake the assembling of ourselves together even if it is different. We need each other. We need to encourage one another. Brotherly kindness. Please, please, please do not underestimate your need to experience brotherly kindness or your need to show brotherly kindness. This is not a one-way street. It's not just giving. It's not just receiving. It's giving and receiving. Minister to one another intentionally and creatively and allow others to minister to you. Seek to outdo one another in showing honor and allow others to honor you when it is appropriate. Open your heart and your home to those who you know, those you don't know well, and even strangers, and be willing to receive hospitality. Make gathering together for mutual encouragement and accountability a top priority, and this will be a testimony to those who are not yet part of our family. And it will be a blessing to those who are already a part of our family. Are you part of this family? Jesus said in Luke 18, 29 and 30, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come eternal life. We put all of our emphasis on the cost. You may have to leave your house. You may have to leave your family. You have to leave everything behind to follow Jesus when we should be putting the emphasis on verse number 30. Who will not receive Many times as much at this time and in the age to come, eternal life. You may leave family now for Jesus, but you will get much more family in Jesus. You may leave houses now 
and lands now and farms now, but you'll get many, many more lands and houses and farms in Jesus. Are you in Jesus? Are you part of this family? He came to this earth to live the perfect, sinless, holy life that God demands every one of us to live. He went to the cross to pay our sin debt that God demands that we pay. And he went to a borrowed tomb and he was buried away until Sunday morning. He physically rose from the grave so that anyone and everyone who would turn away from their life of sin, who would turn away from their sin and put their trust and their faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, you can be reconciled to God and not just reconciled to God, but you can be adopted into his family. And you can have a family. 1 John 3.16, we know love by this. We, sitting in this park, who know Christ, know love by this. That He, Jesus, laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's brotherly kindness. Experience the love of Christ who died for us, laid down his life for us. And then show the love of Christ to our brothers and sisters in Christ by laying down our lives for them. Ministering to the brethren. Ministering to the brethren. Honoring the brethren. Showing hospitality to the brethren. And encouraging the brethren. Are you one of the brethren? Are you one of the brothers and sisters in Christ? If not, we're going to pray. Our ministers will be around the fountain area as you're dismissed. You feel free to go and take one of them by the hand and say, I need you to pray for me. I need you to talk to me about what it means to be part of this family. I need you to help me. I need you to point me in a direction. They'll do whatever they can do. They'll pray for you however you need prayer. If you are not part of the family, we want to invite you today. Turn away from your sin. Throw yourself on the mercy and grace of Christ. Call upon His name until He gives you assurance that you're His child. And follow Him from this day forward. It'll be worth all the cost. Father, we thank You for Your grace, Your mercy, Your love. We thank You for the love of Christ who laid down His life for us. Help us to be willing to lay down our lives for the brethren. Showing brotherly kindness. Increasing in brotherly kindness to those who know you as a testimony to those who don't know you. God, if there's a person here who doesn't know you, I pray that you would grant them repentance, grant them faith, grant them the courage to talk with someone that they trust before they leave this place today. I pray that if there's a person here who is not ministering and serving the body of Christ, that you would show them what you created them to love and what you gifted them to do and help them to find a way to bless others through it. God, help us to recognize that which is honorable in our brothers and sisters and honor them for your glory. Help us to open our homes and our hearts and our lives and not to get so tied to these buildings. Help us to encourage one another and not forsake assembling ourselves together as is the manner of so many. Help us to encourage one another 
as we seek to grow and to walk in you. We thank you again for your word, for, for speaking to us when we don't deserve it, for speaking through us when we don't deserve it, for using us in spite of us. We pray that you would work and that you'll be glorified from our time together this morning. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.